Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Tish Vincent. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Dr. Leanne Davey, psychologist and New York Times bestselling author, join us today as our podcast guest to talk about why you should stop avoiding conflict in the workplace. So, Dr. Davey, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? Absolutely. It's nice to meet everyone. So, I have spent the last 20 years as an organizational psychology expert helping teams, particularly leadership teams, to deal with the messy people stuff so they can get back to business. And about six years ago, I realized that it wasn't good enough to uh, only help teams after things had gone wrong. And so I, I built this other part of my business to help people keep their teams healthy. So now I'm an author and a keynote speaker, and I have a YouTube channel, all with the intention of helping people build the teams that they deserve. Excellent. So most people think of conflict as something to be avoided, at least within law firms. What makes conflict important and valuable? So conflict is something that is a natural and normal part of every organization. So if you think about it, probably you've already had a conflict uh, come up in your day today. So one of the most common conflicts would be that there are two important priorities, things that you could do, projects say that you could do that would help develop the firm. You could institute a new customer management, customer relationship management system, uh, or you could use that funding to bring on um, more students or more support staff. And you have have to make a tough call about which is going to help the firm more to automate your marketing or to you know add new staff that actually do the hands-on face-to-face tasks. So that's a great example of a conflict that comes up. But there's lots of others. You know, we need to uh, give feedback to somebody. We need to figure out how to share with someone that we think that there's a risk or a problem in their plan. So uh, there is a, a natural stream of conflict that's just a part of being in any organization. And the problem is that if we as humans avoid those conflicts, then they really pile up and they affect the ability of the firm on a whole bunch of levels. And we can talk more about that. But the basic premise is organizations require conflict. Humans tend to run from it. And so we get into this pretty ugly conflict debt, as I like to call it. So Leanne, what would you say the cost is to a law firm of having insufficient conflict? I think you just touched on that just briefly, but if you could expound a bit, that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so let me talk about it in three different levels. So let's start with the cost to the firm. So at the firm level, the inability to deal with conflict or the unwillingness to raise issues and and work through them, it's going to have several effects. So one is it's going to affect productivity because at some level there are going to be projects or things you need to get done. But if you can't reach a decision, if you can't, you know, create a plan and and be ready to go with it, then it's going to affect your productivity. Um, If you don't like conflict, you're not going to bring the right people around the table to 
make interesting decisions and do new things. So the firm will be less innovative than it would be if you were comfortable with conflict. And the third one is if you don't like conflict, you're going to leave risks unexposed and therefore unmitigated in the way you're running the firm. So there's all these challenges at the organization level if the people in a firm avoid conflict. So that's the first level. There's a second level, which is there are huge impacts of conflict debt on our teams. So if you think about the allocation of caseload, that's that's an issue you have to deal with in your team. Who gets what files? You know, who who gets the juicy, awesome, interesting ones, and who gets the dogs that we all know exist? Uh, who has to take one for the team in any given situation? And if you do that and do it in a way that's not perceived as fair or do it in a way that um, continues to give the same kinds of things to certain people, then you're not going to grow and develop other people, et cetera, et cetera. So we create a big problem for the team. We have to do inefficient workarounds if we're not good at allocating work. It may be that there are power struggles and issues between you know, the partners and the lawyers in the firm and the people in the administration of the firm. And if we don't resolve those issues, there's going to be a lot of animosity and our engagement is going to go down. So there's a big cost when we leave conflict debt on our teams. And then the final type of conflict debt is very personal. So if if I'm in a situation where I feel I'm not being recognized or rewarded for the contributions I'm making, that's and I don't say anything and I just tolerate it, then that's getting into conflict debt. And if I don't like the way I'm being treated by a colleague or by my manager, that gets into conflict debt. And and the cost of that is very profound because our team members become stressed, they become disengaged, um, they build resentment toward being a, a part of the organization or a part of the team. And that's what's contributing to some of our terrible uh, turnover levels, our stress levels and short-term disability, uh, because people are unsure how to tackle, how to broach these difficult subjects. And so they are taking on that stress on themselves. And, and we're starting to see the costs to people's health, to their families, to their engagement. So we've got these multiple levels at which the firm is really suffering if uh, we aren't good at conflict, both the business of the firm, the engagement and the staff and the people and the camaraderie in the firm, and then just the very health and well-being of the people in the firm. So it's it, the costs are very, very high. It sounds like people kind of default to wanting to avoid a conflict and then in your language a conflict debt is accruing like it's, it's building up is that am I hearing you correctly yeah that's exactly right so all of these things are requiring us to have conflict but we as humans so first of all we're biologically wired to get along with people in our in-group so we want it to be harmonious and that made sense as as we were creatures who needed to evolve together and if you got voted out of the cave you got eaten by the saber-toothed tiger and that wasn't so great so we're <laughs> built to want to get along and have harmonious relationships but it goes further than that because we're raised to to learn that conflict is impolite or it's not nice. And so, you know, I think about my grandma telling me, you know, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And, um, mm -hmm. and learning to stay out of issues by teachers who kept telling me to mind my own business. And so we had all these voices now that sort of sit on our shoulder and whisper to us all the reasons why we shouldn't have conflict. So that's why we get into conflict data is because the organization's sending us this steady stream of hard calls, tough choices and uncomfortable conversations. And the voices 
voices whispering in our ears telling us, don't, you know, don't do it. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. just stay out of it, like duck, hope it'll go away. And so that's how we end up in this big conflict debt with this whole mound of issues that need to be surfaced and resolved, but instead kind of pile up and, and, and collect this compounding interest of stress. And it's really not a very healthy situation. Leanne, can you speak to an organization where there may be one individual in an organization who has been enlightened to your teachings and there are several other individuals in the entity who are not agreeable to any of this or don't understand it, how they might bring it to their organization so they're not a lone voice in the crowd. Yeah, that's a great question. So if you start to believe this and you start to build up your conflict skills, the last thing you want to do is walk into a conflict avoidant firm and, you know, walk into the boardroom and, and pull the pin on a conflict grenade. <laughs> that's not going to go well. So I... Um, and I use a more positive, a grenade isn't a very nice metaphor, but I use the, use the metaphor of, you know, we know conflict is good for us, but, you know, nobody wants to bite into a giant brand muffin of conflict. <laughs> so I talk about, you know, how do we sprinkle a little bit on our, on our cornflakes instead of, you know, having a big mouthful of brand. So what you want to do is, first of all, um, productive conflict can really be supported by the use of questions as opposed to statements. So if you understand the importance of adding some tension onto the conversation, then doing it with questions instead of you know asserting or, or demanding uh, is one way. And you'll find that people respond more positively if they're conflict averse to answering a question. So you might, for example, ask a question that that draws out the fact that their plan has a few holes in it. You might say, you know, that's really, really interesting. Um, How do you think that would work with the clients that work with us across multiple practices? So you could say, like, I think there's a huge problem. This makes great sense. This plan makes great sense if you only work with us in one practice, but it's it's going to fall flat on its face if it's an issue for clients cross-practice. So instead of saying, that's the dumbest thing ever, what you want to say is you want to call their attention to the issue, and the issue in this case would be, you know, multi-practice clients, and, and have them come to the conclusion themselves. So one big thing if you're introducing conflict in a conflict-diverse culture is use more questions. So that's a, a big thing. There's another thing you can do, which is spend a lot more time reflecting back what you hear from other people. So I always say, if their truth comes out of your mouth before your truth, then that's going to be another very positive and constructive way to have conflict. So if they're saying, I think we need to invest the money in in hosting a client event, a, a schmoozy, awesome, fancy place kind of client event, and your truth is that we desperately need that money to train our employees on the new customer relationship management system, then instead of starting with saying, no, we can't afford that, you know, that's not the right answer, we need to invest in employee training, instead of that, you put their truth first. So for you, it's really important that we invest this money in doing a customer event, you know, tell me what you'd like to accomplish with the clients, what you you think is important there and, and dig in and understand and reflect their truth before you say, you know, for me, I've really been paying attention to the challenges our team is having in even reaching our clients or interacting with them because they 
don't know yet how to use the uh, client relationship management system, you know, how do you think we could invest the money so that we can kind of solve for both of these things? So the good news is if you are enlightened to the good fight, which is what I call my book, I call it the good fight because it's not conflict the way we we fear conflict would be, but it's a very positive way of having conflict. You can do it with these great questions by sharing somebody else's truth and then adding in your own. And all of these things will be better received than if you come out swinging. So if you follow the methods that you're outlining, the conflict can be productive and that's important. Exactly. So when I decided to call the book The Good Fight, it was because it was sort of two books in one. So when I first started writing the book, I thought about it as the people who were conflict avoidant and needed to learn the fight. So the message is really that some things are worth fighting for and being conflict avoidant and getting into conflict, that is a problem. But as I got working on it more and more, I realized, well, it needs to be a second book also, which is the book for people who are okay with conflict, but do it in a way where there's a lot of collateral damage, where it's hurtful or personal or destructive or goes in the wrong direction. So the book is just as much about the good as it is about the fight. So how do we have conflict in a way that's really productive? And at the end of the day, we can not only move the business forward faster, we can strengthen trust and engagement, and we can look ourselves in the mirror and be really proud of ourselves. So that's what a good fight looks like. Leanne, have you found that as you've gone into organizations, that when you start to introduce these concepts that they really take off and people embrace them. And maybe that is a very broad statement and is difficult to answer. If you can, in any generalization, tell our listeners uh, how these concepts and ideas are perceived when you first go into organizations. Yeah, I think it's like most concepts. So there are a few people who've just been you know, waiting for the right words to say for they've known this is an issue, there's pent up demand. And finally, the book uh, or the videos or, or whatever else they've seen finally gives them the right words for how to actually broach the issues. And those folks are quick out of the gate. They they almost, you know, they're so antsy, they want to jump up and run out of the room. I actually did have somebody in Atlanta recently where I was teaching them this stuff. And then we were supposed to go straight to the cocktail hour. And she was late. And I didn't know where she'd gone. And she comes down, she said, I had to go make a phone call. I finally knew how to deal with this issue that had been, you know, sitting with me for a couple of weeks. And so she, she wanted to go make the call before she got to the bar. So we always have some percentage of, uh, of the organization where this liberates people and it, it, they've known all along, they just didn't have the words. Um, then we have the sort of folks with a little bit of trepidation in the middle of the pack. And they want to see somebody else do it first. And they want to see that, you know, somebody challenges a partner in a meeting and keeps their job. And then they're like, you know, they want to see that someone's gone in the water and there's no sharks. So that's the next group we get because when these first few out the door, when they use these new techniques and, and these ways, they have great experiences. And so people are like, oh, I want, I want some of that, right? Um, and then there's always going to be 20% of the firm, which is a completely a number I've just picked out of the air, but um, some amount of people who are just never going to be comfortable with it. They don't really believe in themselves they don't have the confidence to uh, share a, di a different opinion with people who they believe are more worthy or more knowledgeable or more experienced or, or whatever else. So we're never going to try and get to 100%. But one of the big things I talk about in, in The Good Fight is how do we 
systematize conflict so that we stop having to rely on people to have these difficult conversations because that's too big an ask. So what we do is we actually turn it into a, a way we manage the firm. And so there's there's two different chapters in the book dedicated to processes you can do with your team. And there's all the instructions in there about how to do it. Conversations you can have with your team so that you don't even need to get into the fight in the first place, that you've normalized the tension between the different practices and, and with marketing and with finance and, you know, all those sorts of things so that you don't even have as many conflicts in the first place. So there's a lot we can do to increase the likelihood that the firm is going to adopt these approaches. And, and so on the first hand, we're counting on individuals to behave in a way that's, that's new and different, but then we're quickly backing them up with some of these core processes that um, systematize it and, and normalize a lot of conflicts so that we take the, we take the pressure off of them. I would think that a firm, if they adopt the ideas and they, implement them and the firm is transitioning from being conflict avoidant to knowing how to have the good fights, that they might experience it as exhausting. Is there any way to make it easier, that transition phase? I mean, once it's established, I can see everything would work better, but do you ever get that feedback that, oh, it's exhausting when they start to transition? That's a great question. I have never had that feedback. I think because we do try and do the sprinkle it version versus the giant brand muffin, <laughs> the big mouthful of brand muffin method. So I have a blog I posted on my blog uh, on how to create a conflict habit. And I give nine little things and I've turned it into a cheat sheet. And so maybe what we'll do is put that cheat sheet in the show notes and your listeners can download it. And it's nine ways you can sprinkle conflict into your next meeting. So it's little tiny things like um, represent a different stakeholder. So the conversation's going along and it's all very harmonious and you sense it's going a little too easily and, and the decision maybe isn't been made as thoroughly as it could be. And so you can sprinkle a little healthy conflict by just saying, you know, I think this is a really, really great plan when it comes to our existing clients. How do you think it's going to be perceived by uh, our prospective clients? So all you're doing is sprinkling a little bit of tension on the conversation by sharing a different stakeholder. Uh, or you could say, you know, how do you think it's going to be perceived by the Bar Association? Or what if this showed up in the uh, in the newspaper? You know, how, how would it land with the public? So there's these nine little tiny ways that we can add a little bit of tension. And so in that way, what you're doing is you're building up the muscle slowly so that you don't get to the point of exhaustion or, or failure or uh, what we want to do is, is start to build it up in a way that it's more manageable and it doesn't uh, take all your resilience just to have these kinds of discussions. Um, and I think that's important. I, I really encourage people not to go, you know, go with the gusto the first time and because then they'll have a bad experience. And we want them to successively build positive experiences and show that conflict makes decisions better. It makes relationships stronger. You know, feedback, giving somebody a piece of feedback is a great example of productive conflict. You know, if, if people have been watching someone and everyone in the firm knows that this person needs a piece of feedback that they've never been given, you know, everybody knows the lawyer that, you know, cannot actually <laughs> yes, get to their do. point succinctly <laughs> enough as an example. Everybody knows yeah. this and nobody's ever said anything. Yeah, I know. Everybody does, right? And so... You know, just the practice of, and the book goes into how do you give feedback effectively? 
And you give feedback effectively by being very, taking all the judgment out of your feedback and just saying, you know, when you take two or three minutes to describe this point, you know, the the impact is that I think people are, are missing the potency of your point. You know, how might you arrive at the, the key message more quickly? And when you give somebody feedback and, and learn to just have these small ways, first of all, you'll get gratitude in response from the vast majority of people. And that little win will fuel the next, okay, now I'm going to try and give somebody else a little bit of feedback. And so it becomes a, a virtuous cycle as opposed to something that people see as exhausting. Now, Leanne, we all have encountered those people in law firms or other organizations who've been long-term employees who are kind of the backbone. And maybe the, with all due respect to people named Bertha, maybe the Berthas of the, of the organization who have the attitude like, but we've always done it this way. They are those people who are not akin to change. And why should we change anything? This is the way it's always been done. And they're kind of driving the ship. Is there any particular way that we might address these type of personalities and organizations? Yeah, so first of all, to recognize that these are pretty normal humans, that uh, when we find a formula that works, we are built to stick with it, which makes a lot of sense, right? So if we first of all start not by thinking of this person as uh, resistant to change or a stick in the mud or old fashioned, but instead if we think of them as a human who's got a formula that's working for them, and so we're going to have to give them a pretty compelling case as to why that formula doesn't work. My tip is that one of the things that works much more effectively is to talk about the future and talk about things outside the firm. So if you start justifying, wow, you know, we're not doing it right. We need to be more efficient. You know, we go to all these things, all of that lands like judgment and humans, we get very defensive in the face of judgment against us. So you don't want to do that with somebody because then they're going to dig in harder. So what I really encourage you to do is talk about things going on in the future and things going on outside the firm. So let's talk about how professional services are evolving, or let's talk about the fact that there's more and more places where, where lawyers are being brought in-house to avoid having to pay legal fees or so what's changing in the environment. And then you can say, you know, for us to be ready you know, in a couple of years when when this really gets going or the commoditization of law. So artificial intelligence is a great thing you can talk about these days because nobody quite knows enough about it and it's just scary enough that it makes a great thing to talk about. You know, what if 50% of our practice was automated and we needed to have, you know, a vastly different expense structure? So what would we need to do to thrive in that environment? What would we need to do to be ready for that? And it turns out if you go more future-oriented and you go with things that are outside the firm, then people can be more curious, can be more interested, as opposed to this isn't that we're doing anything wrong. This isn't that you know our firm isn't as good as it needs to be, which means that you aren't as good as a leader as, as you need to be. But instead, it's just saying we're in this sort of inevitable time of change. Um, how do we be ready for that? And so it's also not saying that we're too late or we're behind, which is, again, judgmental, um, and saying, where do we need to go and how do we become ready? So that technique works really well because it just doesn't cause that big defensiveness and resistance to kick in. If you had one tip that our listeners could try today, 
what would you advise them to do? One tip. Okay. Mm, I'm going to go with my validation three-point plan. So let's try this one. So if you feel like you're about to get into an argument and you just think, oh, I can't do it. I don't have the strength. (laughs) Um, Then here's the three steps to avoid getting into an argument. So step one, whatever they just said, that's making you want to tear your hair out or scream at the top of your lungs or just break it down and cry in frustration, whatever they just said and whatever, you know, awesome retort you've, you've come up with in your head, don't do it. Instead, say something that validates them, which is exactly the opposite of what you feel like doing. But if we go back to our example of, um, you know, hosting a client event, if they've just said, I think we need to spend $50,000 at the schwankiest country club in town with caviar and champagne and, <laughs> and really show our best clients an amazing time. And you want to be like, are you freaking kidding me? Um, what you want to do is say, okay, for you, you think our, our biggest priority right now is to bring our, our best clients together to uh, have a very luxurious experience for them. And I, and I want you to validate them in a way that doesn't have judgment in it. Simply all you're doing is restating what they said. And what's amazing is that the minute they hear their truth come out of your mouth, they will first of all think that you're smart <laughs> and um, think that you're right and be listening more closely. So that's really good. So you want to start there. And, and then the other thing is it's going to throw them off because they're going to have been ready for a fight because they know you want to spend it on internal training. So they're like, what? I thought I, thought, I, thought I was going to get pushback here. So you validate them first. The second thing you do is you ask a great question to show that you re- really are curious. Okay, so, you know, what makes you focus on the clients right now? Where do you think our top clients are at? What's the state of our relationship with our top clients? What would be the primary objective in bringing them together for an event? Whatever, just ask a big open-ended question that's going to allow you to really get more understanding of what their truth is. And as they do, start to say, oh, okay, so um, for you, the truth is that we've We've grown so large that we, and we've been so focused on, on growth and business development that we've lost touch with the clients who are actually the lion's share of our business and the ones who will be loyal to us no matter what happens. And we need to reestablish that connection. And as you say that, they'll be like nodding their heads like, well, how did this woman get so smart? That is exactly. And, and so first of all, nothing, no cue in the situation will tell them that this is a fight. Okay, so, that, so we've validated and we've, we've asked great questions and, and reflected it back. Then we get to pivot. So step three is, it's so interesting because at the same time, for me, I'm thinking about, you know, one of the most important things for really being connected to those people is knowing who's touching them, where their files are at, you know, broadening the relationships so we know more and more people within each of those client accounts. And, you know, I think the tool for that is really our new client management system. And if we could learn how to really use that well, it would really serve us. So for me, the priority right now is, is you know, making sure we can all use that tool. And so then you've shared your truth. And because their truth came out of your mouth first, by this law of reciprocity that human beings work on, they'll listen to what you have to say. And then you engage them in finding a solution, right? So you say, 
Okay, so we got these two truths at the same time. We need to strengthen our connection or reignite our connections with our most important clients, and we need to find a way to sort of broaden and deepen and and, uh, actually make sure that we've codified and that we've got those relationships um, somehow in our data. You know, how do we work that? How do we find a way to, to kind of solve for both of those things? And so that technique, which can also be applied in the following situation, you are sitting at the dining room table when your partner walks in the door and says, oh, I had the worst day. And what you want to say is, you think you had a bad day. Wait till you hear about my day. And we want to invalidate. So it's the exact same technique to go, you did. How come you had a bad day? What happened? And then you ask a question. Oh, what do you think made her do that? That's so weird. And then you say, must be a full moon because I had a terrible day too. Hey, do you think maybe a bottle of wine and binge watch Game of Thrones would help? And so this technique, whether it be with a partner in the firm, a colleague, uh, or somebody at home, the technique of first validate, then ask a question to show you're curious and to learn more, and then pivot and add your truth is the magic wand of healthy conflict. That's brilliant. I think that's a takeaway all our listeners can can use. <laughs> I have a YouTube video all about it if people want more. Uh, it's called uh, how to, I think it's called like how to prevent an argument or something like that on YouTube. So it takes you through the fun thing in that video is I go through all the things that we want to do instead. So I go through all the unhealthy, horrible things we do first before I get to the, I just gave you the magic wand. Excellent. Thank you. So Leanne, it sounds like the three magic words are validate, question, and pivot. Is that correct? I'm trying to get yes. I'm trying to get those in Yay. my mind because those are the three things I, I tend <laughs> I tend to be a prong person, so I can remember those three things and they will be very helpful. Yeah, and the generic principle is just make their truth come out of your mouth before yours does. That's the generic principle. And this validate, question and pivot is how you do it. But if you can just remember if if their truth comes out of my mouth first, this won't be a fight. Wonderful. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Leanne Davey, for a wonderful program. Leanne, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you? So it's just my name is my URL, which is easy, except I have these two really hard to spell names. So it's just leannedavey.com, and Leanne is L-I-A-N-E, so it's like Diane, but with an L. Davey is D-A-V-E-Y, so leannedavey.com. And there is, if you subscribe there, then there are free resources and tips and tools and all sorts of goodness. And certainly any of your listeners, if they have any questions or things that they would like me to cover in my weekly blog or do a quick video on, they can just send that right into me through the website and I will get back to them with some tips and tools that they can use in their own firm right away. Thank you, Leanne. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance Podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download Legal Talk Network's free app 
in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.